Thanks, Naomi. Um, yes, welcome to class. It's, it's fun, isn't it, coloring in in church? There'll be food later on. Um, it's different to last Sunday evening. We had a church service in here last Sunday. You guys were here. I think most of us all were here. Yeah, and it was quite different, wasn't it? Um, in one regard, but in another, it hasn't been quite different. The king is in the room. King, the king is in the room. Did anyone notice that? The king is in the room. You know, if we had if we had a visit from what's his name, Charles. Everyone goes nuts. Everyone gets excited about it. Everyone makes plans about it. Everyone stops what they're doing and listens to what the king has to say or what he what he what his plans are. And sometimes we can forget that in church. Sometimes we can, I can forget that in church. Sometimes I can turn it into a program or a plan or just something that we do on a Sunday. But the king is in the room. The king is in the room. And um, as I was pre- preparing for tonight's message, I had a preparation, I had a plan. <laughs> but as I, before, before coming here this afternoon, I actually felt like, he just wanted to be recognised, you know, and he's actually, he's, the king is in the room. And I just love it, that song, that the video starts off that way, that video that was played while you guys were doing your colouring in and giving thanks in, in art form. It's great. Um, but it starts off that way. It's the king is in the room. Come see the scars on his hands and feet or something like that anyway. And that's the sort of king we, we serve. We worship him. And the first song we sang was the Servant King. And I think the next song after that was the King of Kings. And like you thought the plan was giving thanks, but I think the plan might be that he's the king and we need to recognise that the king's in the room. The king has a, has a, has a, uh, he has a, an edict. The king has a decree for his kingdom tonight and this is it. You're clean. You're clean. Every one of us who put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour are clean on the inside to the outside. I bought some cleaning products. (laughs) Here's something that I can use. Oh, we won't won't get this out because we all just, whenever you see that, everyone freaks out, don't they? Hand sanitizer. Wow, haven't we bonded with hand sanitizer over the last few years? To clean, it helps us to stay clean. It helps us to smell like all different kinds of things when we rub our hands together. And this stuff here, multi-purpose, we clean tables and, and handles on doors and even music stands, we have to clean them and anything that you touch your hand on, you have to clean it, make sure it's nice and clean on the outside. I'll put these up here. Even that. Ugh. Jesus had a chat with some Pharisees one day and they, um, they, well, they got upset with Jesus' disciples because they, they didn't wash their hands before they ate their food. They didn't do a ceremonial wash. And Jesus said to them, you clean, you clean the stuff on the outside, but your hearts are like empty tombs, he said. Empty tombs. And that's, that's not even like, that's worse than just a tomb. <laughs> If you think about it, 
A whitewashed tomb is an empty, cleaned out tomb. It's not even being used for what its purpose is. And so Jesus was really having a good dig at people that like to think that you could clean things on the outside and not worry about the inside. And in this section in, in Acts chapter 15, we see a very important meeting happen between the leaders of the church and the church. And it's actually the first conference, the first church conference ever. <laughs> and they gather together, and this is the this is the this is the point of agenda for the conference. These new believers that aren't Jewish and now they want to follow Jesus, shouldn't they get circumcised? What a fantastic thing to bring up at a church conference. You don't know how awkward it is for me to actually stand up here and say those words. But this is the sort of stuff they were really concerned about. And why were they concerned about it? Because some people came in and they said, this is how a Christian should look. This is how a believer should look. And you know what? These guys didn't have a Bible to look it back on, the New Testament. They didn't have the letters that Paul wrote or Peter wrote or John or James or whoever wrote Hebrews. They didn't have all those letters to look at. They were just going off of the Holy Spirit's leadership and guidance and the Old Testament. And so a lot of these new believers in Acts that we've been reading about are Jewish people who have decided that Jesus is their Messiah. If you ever meet a Jewish person, don't say that Jesus is the Messiah. Tell them Jesus is your Messiah. It makes more sense to them. But here, Paul and Barnabas have been on this mission trip for two years and they've made converts that weren't Jewish people. They were just regular people from other religious backgrounds. No Christian, no Jewish upbringing, sorry, no Jewish upbringing at all. And they decide to put their trust in Jesus. Now, we see, as Rose read for us before, there were some people who were, it says that they were believers. I don't know if they really were. But they were believers and they said, these people, these new converts, they're not like us. They're not like us on the outside. They don't look like us on the outside. Like, we're not going to go there. But they don't look like us on the outside. Their outward appearance is not clean. Their outward appearance is not right with God. And so it was a big decision to make. Paul and Barnabas get upset with them to start with. And then they decide, no, let's talk to the leadership and talk it out together and find out what God is saying. And so they end up going to Jerusalem to this big meeting with the, with the leaders of the church. James is there. Peter's there. Paul and Barnabas come along. And the people of the party of the Pharisees, who are these people who say the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses if they're going to follow Jesus. All these people are in the same room. Guess who else is in the room? King. The king. The king is in the room. The first person to get up to talk is the king. Have a look in verse 6 of Acts 15. It says, The apostles and elders met to consider this question. No one started speaking what their opinion was. They all gathered together to find out what the opinion of the king was. It's alluded to there in the text. It doesn't say it. It's alluded to because they all understand who the boss of the church really is. 
And so it turns out, as they were discussing, after much discussion, it's finally dawned on Peter, who was the, the leader of the 12 disciples, so to speak, with Jesus. And it, and it says at the, end of, at the beginning of verse 7, um, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. I think it's really cool here because we can learn something about God and what it means to be clean. Peter, a couple of... Uh, Five chapters ago, in chapter 10 and 11, he meets up with this guy called Cornelius. Now, we didn't actually go through this story in our series, so a little bit of a background would be good. Cornelius wasn't Jewish. He was a Greek, and he, but he still was a good man and wanted to honor God's ways. Like He might not have been like a full-on Jewish follower of God or a full-on Christian in, our, in, in today's sense, but he still honored God's system. He still respected God's laws. He still thought that, you know, marriage was a good thing. And he still thought that, you know, giving to the poor was a good thing. And he, he was that kind of person. And he, in fact, he did that. He gave to the poor and he prayed countless times. And God responded to Cornelius by giving him uh, a message and calling for Peter to come and talk to him about this message. He didn't know what the message was going to be, but Peter in the meantime, has this vision of this sheet coming down from heaven with all kinds of animals and food on it. A Jewish person would say they were clean animals and they were unclean animals. Anyone know what a Jewish person is forbidden to eat here? Pork. Yeah, love bacon, love pork. They, don't, they can't eat um, lobsters too, I believe. Any kind of crustaceans, yep. So prawns, it's off the menu. Poor guys. Bats. You can't eat bats either if you're Jewish. But you can if you're not. So yeah, if you want to, you go ahead and eat a bat. <laughs> but but this, this sheet came down with all these kinds of animals, different kinds of animals. And, and God says to Peter, get up and eat. And Peter says to God in this vision, I can't do that. I'm a Jew. I will never eat what you call unclean. And you know what God's response to him was? Don't call unclean what I call clean. And so after a little bit of time, Peter realized that this, this vision that God gave him wasn't about food only. It was actually about people. And it was about God's heart for all people to be clean. And so he ends up sharing the gospel message with Cornelius and his whole household. And in the middle of the sermon that he gives to these people, the Holy Spirit falls upon the people that are present. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, I'll bring you to that particular verse because there's a big story behind it. But in Acts chapter 10 and verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. 
So here are Gentiles, non-Jews, receiving the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Now, fast forward again, back to where we are today in Acts 15. Peter gets up after considering with the other leaders what, what's important here. And he gets up and he says, you know what? I've been around. I hung out with Jesus for three years and I noticed some things. I was even there in Acts chapter 2 when Pentecost was there and the Holy Spirit came upon everybody. And I was there when it happened with Cornelius' household as well. I want you guys to feed back on me. Did anyone lay hands on people in Acts chapter 2 to receive the Holy Spirit? No, the answer is no. Did anyone lay hands on people in Acts chapter 10 and 11 in Cornelius' house to receive the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. It's really interesting that God chose to do it that way because what he was doing was actually making a decree. He's actually making a decree. This is not a choice of a man or a, or a, or a, or a woman or a church leader or a, or a government official. It's not anyone else's choice but mine, he says. I'm the king and I declare that this person is clean. Isn't that cool? And so Peter says to these guys in Acts chapter 15, verse 8, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, talking about the non-Jewish people, just as he did to us, talking about the Jewish people. Them and us. There's no more them and us. But he says there, it says that, talks about God as the God who knows the heart. Who knows that God knows your heart? Isn't that encouraging? I don't think it is. Well, I kind of think it is because I know God loves me. But if God didn't love you and he knew your heart, that's not good news. Now, I look at the outside of you guys and I love you guys to bits. I think you're great. And, and I know what you mean sometimes when you do things, you know, but I don't know your heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Jesus said in Matthew 15, I think it is, it's, it's from the heart come murder, adultery, sexual morality, lust, deceit. It's from the heart. It's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. That's, a, that's the talk that Jesus was giving. It's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. So, so how can you fix something that keeps producing unclean? How can you fix your heart if it's unclean? God knows your heart. God knows your heart. You know, it's um, that beautiful story in the Old Testament with David. Remember David, the shepherd boy? And he's out looking after the sheep. And God comes and says to Samuel, the prophet, I've chosen a king. And he's at Jesse's house. Go and get him. And so Jesse lines up all of his boys, the big fellas. And, and the Holy Spirit's speaking to Samuel. And Samuel looks at each one of the boys that Jesse puts in front of him. And he says, no, that's not the one. That's not the one. That's not the one. And, and he gets to the end and he thinks, wow, is there anyone else? And Jesse says, actually, there is. He's out looking after the sheep. And so everyone has to wait while they fetch for David. He comes in and Samuel says, there's the one. You know why he says that? Because he says in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. 
God looks at the heart. All right? God looks at the heart. Now, that can be a good thing in our context because I might stuff up, you know? Sometimes my mouth gets me into trouble, but you guys know my heart. You know my intentions, you know, that sort of thing. But God actually knows my heart, and he knows what's capable in my heart, and he knows your heart too, and he knows what's capable in your heart, and he still chooses to love you. But he knows your heart, and he knows your heart is not clean. He knows your heart needs to be disinfected and sanitized. It's got to be pure. It's got to be, it's, it's too much dirt in there and it's got to be clean. But that's not the way to do it on the outward appearance. It's not the way to do it on the outside. How does he do it? From the inside. In fact, Ezekiel 36 verse 26 tells us that God gives a new heart. It says he'll take away the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Now, that's metaphor, obviously, because all of us, our hearts are made out of flesh before Jesus and after Jesus. It's a, it's a pump that's pumping around your body. But it's a metaphor for your central decision-making part of who you are. Your, your soul, your mind, your heart, it's, it's, it's who you are. It's your will-making faculty. And God knows that even though you try your hardest to make him happy, you'll never be able to do it. Even though you try your hardest to clean your own heart, you could pray all the prayers you wanted to. You can get baptized 1,500 times. You know, you could do the Hail Mary. You can, you know, cross, you can cross yourself, you know, until you get scars from doing that. But that's never going to make your heart clean. And we know that. But it still doesn't change the fact that your heart is not clean and my heart is not clean. So how does it get clean? God has to take it out and replace it. I have a, I have a, you might be able to find if I'm wrong, but I, I've kind of got a, a warped way of thinking. But of all the parts of your actual body, I actually believe that God loves your heart the most. Now, I'm not talking about the organ. I'm talking about you, your inward person, all right? the part that no one sees. In fact, you can see, but you don't even know the depths of it. Only God knows the depths of it. But he, I believe that he loves your heart the most. Jesus said this one day. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Or your hand causes you to sin, cut, cut it off. Never once, as Jesus said, if your heart causes you to sin, replace it. Because we can't do that. It's, it's unable for you or I to do that. Only God can do that. Only God can make us clean. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me. Open them up to Romans chapter 10. And there's a wonderful passage here about the importance of the heart when it comes to God's view of you and me. Romans chapter, what did I say? Romans chapter 10, and um, 9, no, ten, 8, Romans chapter 10, verse 8, because it kind of starts into the whole theme. Uh, it starts off by saying, but what does it say? 
Um, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scriptures say, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference, here it is, between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the heart that believes. God is concerned about your heart and my heart so much. He knows your heart and my heart so much. And he knows how wicked it is outside of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so he decided 2,000 years ago to enter into this world, take upon himself his own heart, his own will, live a perfect life, unblemished, faultless, blameless, and still take upon his shoulders your sin and my sin on a cross and deal with it once and for all so that you and I only have to believe. That's it. And we believe with what part of our body? Our heart. Or what part of who we are? <laughs> Let's say that it's more than just physical. It's with our heart. And, and in Acts chapter 15, Peter draws on this. And he says it's so important. God knows, God who knows the heart showed that he had accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts. How, did, how does God purify the heart? Question. How does God purify the heart? Question mark. How? How does he do it? All you got to do is finish that verse that I just read out. God purified their hearts. How? By faith. By faith. God's faith or your faith? Or their faith. Their faith. That's it. A pure heart. By faith. I have a saying in our family. Well, I, 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 try to, I try to say it. Clean as you go. Clean as you go. Have you ever heard that in culinary hospitality fields? Clean as you go. You know, so like if, you, if you're dicing something up and, and, and you finish dicing it up, put it away and then move to do something else. You know, if you unpack something, put it in the bin and then move to do something else. Otherwise, it all just piles up and the dirt just stays there. Your, Christ, your Christian life and my Christian life should be as clean as you go as well. Once cleaned from the inside out. But the devil will always come like he's doing here in 15, chapter 15. And he will come and say, you know what? You don't need Jesus only. You need to do this. You need, you need to go to church more. That's what you need to do. You need, to, you need to go to church more. You need to read your Bible more. And, and if you don't do those things, what does he make you feel? Guilty. And that's never the way. Why? Because the king has made a decree. And how has he made it? By you believing and him giving you his Holy Spirit. That's it. We're clean. 
We're clean because he knows our heart and he cleansed our heart. And he's given the Holy Spirit just as he gave to the uh, people in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. Jews, Gentiles, Christian upbringing, non-Christian upbringing. You know, God doesn't have any grandkids. Grandkids are cute, but God doesn't have any grandkids in his kingdom. Every single one of us have the privilege and responsibility to believe the message. Whether we've been brought up in church or not, we respond to Jesus and call him my Lord and Saviour. What is the proof of salvation in, in the Bible? You might, that's a good question to ask. What is the proof of salvation? I boiled it down. You want the easy, you want the easy answer? If the Holy Spirit's in you, you're saved. That's, that's it. The proof of salvation, according to, 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 to Peter here in this council, is they got the Holy Spirit just as we got the Holy Spirit. Who are we to say that they're not saved? So he says to them, God who knows the heart, show that he accepted them. Right? Now then, in verse 10, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Now, that's not an egg yoke. That's a load. That's a load to carry on your shoulders. All right. That's the law. The law has been done away with in Christ. Christ Jesus has, has completed all that was required in the law. That includes circumcision. That includes, that includes everything in the law as being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Now we don't, we're not required to do things to please God. But we're enabled through the Holy Spirit to do things to please God. We walk in freedom. We don't walk in judgment or shame. We walk in the forgiveness that we've received and we go from there. I think I remember hearing someone say that we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We don't live for Jesus to be victorious. We live for Jesus from being victorious. We're already sons and daughters of the king if we have faith in his son. And so Peter ends, I'll finish on verse 11. He says, we, um, so should we, should we give these guys an extra load on their shoulders? And he answers that question with, with one word in verse 11, no. The way forward is the next few words that he uses. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Now, there's a whole lot of other stuff in this chapter, but I think that's the most important thing that you and I walk away from here knowing that the king has made a decree. You're clean. You're already clean. All right. The devil will come and say, you're not clean. That's okay. You might have, you might have messed up. You might have failed. But just say, you know what? Jesus paid for it back there and I'm filled with his Holy Spirit and I'm going to believe from here on and you can just leave me alone. It's a change of heart. He's given us a pure heart, a clean heart. He knows your heart and he cleanses, cleanses your heart once and for all and as you go through life. That's all I've got to say. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray a blessing on each one of us, Lord, here um, that, are, that listen to this message. We just thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that we have through Jesus and only through Jesus. And we honour you, Lord, with our words.
but also with our life. Thank you for a clean heart. Thank you for amazing grace. Thank you for your love for us. Help us, Lord God, to be um, sharers of that news and not to add extra things on to ourselves or to other people around us. And we believe in you, Lord. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.